Hi and welcome to the Pippin Pets Dog Training Podcast. I'm Jo, I'm a certified separation anxiety pro trainer and also PACT and ABTC accredited trainer. This podcast is all about general dog training and separation anxiety. So happy listening. So hi, so welcome to this podcast. I am super, super excited and very thankful to have the amazing Tom Candy from It's Simplified. Simplifying Shelter Rescue. Simplifying Shelter Rescue. I'll I'll just say my brain. That's (laughs) all right, no worries. So um, one of the the lead behaviours for Dogs Trust. Yes. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself properly, but I'm really great that we can talk about all things rescue dogs and all those rules and myths that seem to come about from them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It's definitely a good discussion point. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, Yeah. So my name's Tom Candy. Uh, I work primarily in in shelter and rescue um, behaviour. So I've been doing that for about uh, eight years full time, but I've worked in shelter and rescuing for 15 years. So it started off, um, I wanted to be a vet. I didn't make it to vet school, but as part of that, I did some volunteering with a local rescue in South Wales called Hope Rescue um, and just fell in love with the idea of rescue and knew that that's where, whichever, whatever happened, that was the direction I wanted to go. So I spent a couple of years volunteering and then I went to University um, of Lincoln in the UK to study uh, bioveterinary science as an undergrad and then clinical animal behaviour as a master's. And then since then, I've worked full time um, in rescue as a, a behaviourist for the UK's largest dog rescue. Um, so I spent some time working at a centre, hands on with the dogs, um, and now I am a senior behaviourist, so I work alongside seven behaviour teams across seven centres, supporting the teams, upskilling staff, and helping make sure that the dogs have the best opportunity and plans to get them successfully into homes. Um, and then, like you mentioned last year, I started Simplifying Shelter Behaviour, which is a Facebook group and podcast that aims to get um, useful practical tips and tricks out to people who are working in shelter and rescue but hopefully it's all also helpful for anybody who's working with behavior or, or dogs um yeah so that's kind of me really yeah i've heard of hope rescue they're a lovely lovely place yeah they're really great um, i'm lucky enough to be a trustee now so i support them as well the, they've got an amazing behavior team um but yeah just help them out with bits as well so yeah really nice to kind of go back to the roots yeah. um roots a bit I think I'd say, um, I know we, <laughs> it's a bit of a curveball question for you, but there's, uh, we're talking about a lot of myths, and I think um, a lot of people think that the rescues are either really harsh because they don't allow every dog out to every family, or they don't, people don't realise that there's like, a thousand applicants for a cute puppy, and so a lot of people are going to get disappointed. Yeah. Some, with rescues, there there's no legislation around the rescues because there's some fantastic ones, but there's some real interesting <laughs> concepts out there and I think for um looking at rescues obviously they can't they don't always home you know they do reject families because that's the dog's needs but I think if you're going to use a rescue and I absolutely um it's having one that will have the that behavioral support because if you take a dog on and it's too much to cope with and do you know what it's big brave pants to admit that you've taken a more than you can cope with um to be able to then go back and say please help me but I think it's really important to find the rescues 
that have that. Are there any indicators, because sometimes not necessarily some of the names that may be more common, a bit like dog training, aren't always the best. You hope that they are. Um, and I know like the Hope Rescue D Dogs Trust, you know, very, very reliable, you know, and there's many others as well. But are there, is there anything that um, potential owners and doctors can, can look out for when it comes to a good rescue versus one? Is there any obvious red flags? Yeah. So like you said, it's a really difficult field to navigate, similar to dog training. There isn't kind of any legislation at the minute around what constitutes a rescue, what standards that rescue needs to uphold. So it is something that... Um, you know, organizations like like Hope and, and the associations of dogs and cats homes, which we'll talk about in a minute, are kind of really trying to, to push through. Um, and we've seen that particularly at the minute with the XL bully mm. situation in the UK, where, you know, you have people potentially setting up as rescues or shelters or um, sanctuaries based on this ban. But there's a lot that kind of goes into it. So that is one element that kind of is being talked about. Um like with training and behavior there is a self um self-regulation body so there is kind of a regulatory body at the minute which is a you know people apply to to that maintain standards that's the association of dogs and cats homes but like with dog training that is voluntary so there is no legislation around joining that but they have minimum welfare standards for dogs they have the the rescues are assessed so they are they're visited by assessors to see yeah what their policies and procedures are like with that overall aim to have the best welfare possible for dogs. So that's always a really good starting point um, to look at if rescues are part of that organization. Yeah. The other side of it is just talking to your rescues. So if they are local to you, that tends to be more helpful just because you've got the ability to visit a dog a bit more. Um, if they're a bit worried about you or just to make sure that it's the right fit, if it's local, it just makes all of that easier. And then whilst you're there or on the phone to them or even looking at the website, exactly like you said, you want to look for rescues that offer what we call rescue backup. So that might not always be behavior support depending on funds and teams, but you know, they hopefully have got a directory of people that they can send you to but it's like things like, you know, they'll always be there to take the dog back if the situation isn't right. The They are um, providing you with information about the dog. It's not just like you come on Tuesday, you meet the dog and you take the, home, the dog home the same day. Because we want to make sure that the home is the right fit for the dog, but also for you. So that, like you said, you're not in a situation where you've got a dog who doesn't match your needs or you're unable to match the needs of a dog. And that's where that kind of first myth that you mentioned really comes from, is that idea that rescues are really stingent um, and strict about their rehoming. And it's like a little sort of pet, pet thing of mine because it's really tricky because there are definitely some rescues that take take the rules to the extreme. And I've seen, like you said, like with everything, there's good and bad rescues. And I think there are des definitely rescues that lose out on homes because of their kind of routines. And I was on a podcast with um, Matt Donovan, the dog dialogue the other day. And he said one that I had never even heard. And him and his partner had been turned down from having a dog because they weren't married, which is just insane. Um, the flip side is you obviously get really good rescues who have what we call a flexible rehoming policy. And that's what, in my view, the industry should be working towards. That idea of sort of, 
exactly what I said earlier, really, meeting the needs of the dog and the people so that we get a successful outcome. Because if you're coming to rescue, you want a dog that's going to fit your lifestyle. But if we're saying no to people, all that's going to happen is they're going to go and get a dog from another source. So that could be Facebook, that could be a puppy, you know, it could be anywhere other than rescue, which means that a dog is losing out. But also we lose that connection to the person because we can have a massive influence on how that dog's going to be looked after, the the welfare of that dog in the home and the support we're able to offer. So, you know, if people are coming to rescue, I've I've got nothing against people getting puppies, but if people are coming to rescue, you want to make sure the process is as supportive as possible so that they tell their friends, you know, in, in hopefully a, a long time, but when there's time for them to get their next dog, they're coming back because they had a good experience. Yeah. Like you said, often people kind of, don't understand that there are a lot of applications for dogs but what we want to be doing really is thinking about how do we as a rescue move people through the system so it's if somebody and this comes down to manners it comes down to how your forms look but we want to try and be collecting as much information from people so that if they ring up about joey the labrador but they're not suitable we might be able to pass them on to malcolm the labrador cross because often people don't kind of think about when we think about getting a dog you know we've got to be that's based off our previous experience the information that we're kind of being shown so often you know people want more desirable in inverted commas breeds or breeds where they see a lot of so things like labradors you know your cockapoos those sort of things often tend to be quite popular but when you actually speak to people about their needs and then how a dog fits into that a it's likely to be much more successful and often once you have the conversation people are then willing to at least come and meet a dog or or meet over and you know um often refer to it as kind of doggy tinder like a lot of the time at the minute particularly post-covid you know people are looking for dogs on the website and that doesn't give you a lot of information so our skill which is what it is is a skill of working in rescue is being able to combine the people information and the dog information to make a successful match yeah, because also I think a lot of people's expectations is very one-sided. And um, what's the program? Oh, I'd say my brain's gone gone to mush. There's a program, the dog, where it's the Wood Green Rescue, and they do the dog. The dog's thing. home. That's it. I think yeah. that's a training one. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. But yeah it's, same people. but it, Yeah, it's very, very much like the humans, I want this type of dog because I like the look of it. And then they go in and the dog is like, well, they I love the dog instantly. But the expectation is the dog needs to love you instantly. Otherwise, they get a bit, oh, it's not very good. Oh, it's not the right match. And I just think actually relationships are two-way. And it's got to be as much as a dog loving the family or, or whoever it is there, the humans. Not necessarily a family, but, you know, you know they're going to be a family, if, even if it's just one person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like, we oh, we should love the dog. We love the dog instantly because of the way it looks. But the dog doesn't love us straight away. And it's like, well, no, these things take time. You know, it's not always love at first sight. Exactly. And we have to remember that often if we're meeting um, dogs who are in rescue, even if they're in foster, they've potentially been through a lot of change and they aren't necessarily kind of their, their full self. So it's, it's, it's important that people kind of recognise that the dog they meet might not be the dog they get in a period of time and that's why again going back to that idea of collecting as much information as possible about the dogs how they were in their previous home how they are whilst they're with you in the shelter how they've been in um foster if 
if that's an option for, for your rescue, creates this profile of a dog. And that's very much what we should be working towards, in my view. You know, we've we've kind of moved on, particularly in the UK, we've moved on from this kind of idea of the more kind of formal, rigid assessments um, with the fake hand and stuff like that. We're, we're moving away from that much more into this observational approach where we're taking in information from as many sources as possible so that we can create that profile of the dog. But we need to be doing exactly the same thing with people so that we can create the profile of the home yeah. and match them up. Yeah. And I think when we talk about expectations as well, what's also interesting is the expectations of people bringing in their dogs and particularly where we've got potential problem behaviours. We hear quite a lot, you know, my dog needs a, a farm or a home in the country. Well, they're not infinite numbers. So we often have to think about, well, what's the good enough home? Yeah. So, yes, that dog probably would love to live on a seven acre plot of land with you know no issues and can just be off lead all the time because what dog wouldn't but you know if you've got somebody who loves um canny cross or agility or something you know even if they're in a it's quite an extreme example but even in a one-bedroom flat they might be a great home for that dog because they're going to have all of their outlets yeah. in a slightly different way. Like I don't, I have a tiny courtyard, which is AstroTurf, which my dog doesn't even really go into. Um, she still lives a pretty great life because she doesn't have constant access to a garden, you know? Um, so it's, it's really thinking about that flexible approach to everything, flexible approach to assessment, flexible approach to rehoming, and that's going to kind of give us the most success. And that's what you see from the successful rescues because they, they keep people on board. You know, like you said, the flip side is that luckily, in a way, I suppose, there's never enough dogs for people, particularly when they want, you know, easy, green, child-friendly, cat-friendly dogs. So if you are adopting from a rescue, being able to be as open as possible in your um, search is always really helpful. So rather than saying, I want a Labrador, like if you're open to medium-sized crossbreeds, that instantly uh, maximizes the number of dogs that you're potentially a match for. Yeah. But it's also been aware that if you have got children or a cat or another dog or something, we're not saying you can't have a dog. What we might be saying is we don't have the right dog now. So the, that's where that information then comes in. The more information you can give us, the more likely we are to find the right dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, you know, we just want to be able to do the best thing possible for the dog and the people. Sometimes that takes time. Um, and I think we just become such a nation of, and a, probably generation as well now, of um, those kind of instant wins. And I'm just as yeah. bad for it, you know. I remember having E on my phone, you know, just E, and things took ages to load, but that was the norm. But now we've got 4G and some people have 5G. If so, if I go on Google and like and I'm trying to cook and a recipe doesn't load in about two seconds, you know, I get frustrated. And we've kind of created this whole um the world where everything is easy access. You've got Amazon Prime, you know, you can order something that's there next day. Some cities, it comes the same day, you know, it's crazy. And we've just got to be aware of that. Yeah. Lots of things don't fit into that um, period. And I think that also, I mean, it's sort of, like I was just thinking, I, mean, I think you said at the beginning, is is um, is if people don't get turn up, the perfect dog is not there, then they go to other sources, which may not be the best sources. Some may be, some may not be. Yeah. 
but it's you're not always going to get the dog on the first visit and certainly not in the first application um and even if you do get to visit some dogs because maybe it's a local rescue that you you'll the, it's not necessarily the dog you want is the dog you need um they're just not available at that time it's like if you go for a car and you want a special color most of the guarantees aren't going to have it you've got to wait you've got to wait for it and maybe do a couple of visits to different places to find the exact spec that you want and i think with dogs it's just like no it should they should be there waiting for us and i think that again this is a bit of a misconception that actually you could be going to maybe two or three great rescues in your area and it could take at least four or five visits maybe with each one before you find the right dog for you at, for the right time and again, it's that whole, no, I expect you just to walk in and literally grab one off the shelf. That's going to be right. And I think that's where a lot of people, the frustration is, is like, no, 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 just persevere, take your time. And it's like, even if you're going for a puppy, you think, okay, this is the first little puppy, you're going to have your perfect dog from that. I was lucky that the actual first litter that I actually went to see, it wasn't the first litter I looked at remotely or, or asked about. But the fact, the actual very first one, I ended up with my little reprobate. So he was just a really good match. But the one of the litter that came up to me, went, walked off and won't come near me. So I'm thinking, oh, thank goodness we weren't a match. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I don't think we would have got on very well. <laughs> um, but my one just came up and thought, yeah, you'll do. And I couldn't, couldn't even move her away from me. You know, it was just that. And I was just very, very lucky that I, I got her very easily and quite quickly. But that's that is cause more luck than anything else. But certainly with the rescues where you've got such a whole different range of dogs and everything, you're not always gonna have your perfect one or even close to the type of one. Literally they're waiting for you because you just never know what you're gonna get from one day to the next. Yeah, definitely. But I think I think the important thing is, you know, from what we've just talked about really, is that they're there are some yeah, there are some obvious barriers to rehoming, but generally there shouldn't be. Like there's very few people that I actively think like we will never give a dog to you. Um and I think that's it's just being aware of that because what you see is that kind of like you said, it's a myth, it's a bit of a misconception. Yes, some rescues are still a bit behind in having a flexible approach, but most rescues do have it. Ivory home to dogs in flats, to canal boats, to you know, farms everything because that's it's just what's right for the dog at that time um but i still see people on facebook with rescues that i work with who are like oh they you know i can't apply i'd love to have this dog but i can't apply because of xyz and that's just not a thing because you know i've been at the rescue and we've actively rehomed dogs to that situation um i always remember there's somebody who lives near me um and they came on Facebook once and said, you know, that that organization definitely doesn't really home to children, but they have a dog from the organization and they also have children. So I always just that was a particularly uh, impressive <laughs> moment. But what we've also got to be careful of is is the flip side, because I think, like you said, because of anticipation, because of excitement, because we often are ready for a dog and we want a dog, we forget about what the flip side might look like and not matching right is mm is is a risk it is a risk particularly you know if you have got children or other things it's risky there is a potential fallout of both the owners and the dog because the dog might come back to kennels that can be quite stressful can be quite upsetting dogs generally who get returned can struggle to then find homes again as quick because you know well why have they been returned they must be 
not a vicky dog or whatever, however you want to label it, um, the people are then going to struggle because they might have a bad experience of rescue if the dog hasn't been a good match or, you know, it's upsetting to take a dog home and then not not find they fit and, and pass them back. And, you know, we used to foster when I was younger and my dad hated it because he hated the dog going, even though they were going to a home, you know, a great home. Um, so dad really struggled with that. But it's also, yeah, the flip side of it and making sure that everybody is safe and sensible because I over it was during COVID, I think it's still probably the scariest thing I've ever seen on on Facebook. Um, so somebody said like, oh, you should adopt a dog from this rescue. And it was from abroad, which is fine if they do things properly, but it was a rescue from abroad. And she was like, oh, um, yeah, I just met them in like this services car park and we've got two children. And it's a bit like, oh, great. Because, yeah, I think the dog was in foster with children um, abroad, but mm. that's not these children. That's not, you know, your children. It's not your environment. And that idea that, yeah, they just picked up this dog from her services, took it home with their children, like nothing is 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 scary so it's traumatic journey in between yeah exactly yeah definitely so it's just being aware that like if you go to good rescues they generally want you to have a dog Mm. we're not like we shouldn't be hoarding dogs if you work in rescue you don't want dogs to still be there because it isn't off you know the best work we do is not a place that the dogs want to be they want to be in a home in a warm having nice walks and having positive experiences um so it is just really important to kind of bear that in mind and just be patient and the more open you can be or the more you know if if you're a trainer and you're having clients come to talk to you about having getting a potential dog the more open people can be the more likely they are to find a dog quickly if they if they are really specific that's fine we'll probably still find them a dog it'll just take longer yeah yeah also this big misconceptions of well, if a dog's in rescue, it must be broken. It must be dangerous. It must be, you know, extreme in in, in aggression, guarding everything. Um, and it's just this. Well, every dog in rescue is is obviously unknown and damaged, which I know is not true because I know there's some great family dogs where the owners have just passed away, and they just need another lap to sit on. And they've been beautifully brought up, beautifully trained, and they haven't been feral or anything. And they're not all broken. Because you can also, um, my my friend's dog, I won't mention any names. I walk this dog regularly. He's a good friend. I've walked this dog since the best friends with my girl. The reason my girl won't retrieve or hold anything in her mouth because it's an absolute resource guarder. This puppy was not badly treated at all. The, his, his siblings are brilliant. It's just his character. He's the biggest resource guarder out. He's the most challenging dog. He's got a bite history, but he's with the right person. You know, he if he was with a family, he would have been destroyed like before he was one. But you can have a probably even more challenging puppy having got the puppy from the litter. And she knows the breeder was her best friend. So she knows all the parents and the whole lineage of the dogs anyway. So there's this whole thing of, rescue dogs are damaged so get a puppy because puppies will be easy but that's an absolute myth yeah like dogs find themselves in rescue for a variety of reasons like you just mentioned sometimes it's owner death it can be a relationship breakdown it can be you know people have had to move and you know maybe they're in um rent accommodation or council accommodation um 
and life kind of happens. So, you know, we often see dogs who are in rescue for no fault of their own. There are obviously a proportion of dogs who are handing over because of problem behaviours. But I think what's really important is even when we consider those dogs, the, the reason I say sort of problem behaviours instead of any other label that you might use um, for difficult dogs is because the behaviours are normally normal for the dog. They're just problems for us. Yeah. And what that means is sometimes just because the dog's been handed over, it could be the dog wasn't in the right situation. So, for example, I was at a centre today. We were talking about a dog who'd been returned because the owners had moved from quite a rural location to a city centre and the dog wasn't coping. Well, that just wasn't the right match. It doesn't necessarily mean that that dog's problem behaviour, you know, is the biggest issue in the world. But just like you said, often what we find is is you almost have a better chance with rescue dogs because the information is a bit more forthcoming. You know, you, you rescue workers are able to do different things with dogs um, that can feed into that profile lock, to, like we talked about earlier. It's always so it it just kind of depends, really. You definitely don't have that flip. Um and also, people think puppies are easy, but they are, like, often a complete and utter nightmare. Um, <laughs> we actually had some puppies today, and within about four seconds, one had grabbed hold of my beard, and I was a bit like, and this is exactly why I don't want a puppy. Um, because I think people forget, and what we tend to see is, actually, people get a puppy, which is great. You know, it might be their first dog, could be their fifth, you know, third dog, but they get a puppy, and then they keep the puppy and the puppy does really well and they have you know a great time and that dog grows up um, and then unfortunately passes away. And it's 10 years later, you've forgotten what a puppy's like. You're also now 10 years older. You know, your life might have changed, you might be less active, you might be working a different job and you forget the difficulties around having a puppy and the time commitment that takes. Um, so like my favourite age of dog is like, older teens so like 18 months to two years and that's what i looked for when i got a rescue dog because they're out of that puppy stage but yeah. you've still got you know a large period of time with that dog they're still young enough to do all of the things that i do like hiking camp you know going in the camper van we can do all of that although she's nine now but we still do those things um but you miss out that puppy stage which for me like now like i travel a lot for work uh, you know I, I do work from home some days but i travel a lot from work I work a busy job. I work 40, I'm contracted to work 40 hours a week. Um, I probably work closer to 60. Um, you know, I do all of these things. I don't have a, the I just don't have the time for a puppy. Like it wouldn't be a good fit. It would stress me out. Um, so it really depends. And it's thinking about like, yes, there are some dogs in rescue that have problem behaviors. Like I said, that isn't always the end of the world because sometimes a change in the environment and some support from a trainer can make the world of difference to that dog. Um, but it's about having that right match and going with that open mind, like I said, and it might be, for example, like you mentioned, um, one of the reasons the dog's been handed over is because they have separation issues. They might be okay being left for, 10 minutes half an hour whilst somebody goes to the shops but can't be left if for the whole day while people are working well yeah. if you do work from home where you're early retired or even late retired you know um that that's, might not be a problem for you because the dog can be left for small periods just can't cope with four hours yeah um, or eight hours with a break in between so it's really kind of considering that 
often is the environment and not the dog mm. and and that's reflected when you then kind of go through a rehoming process yeah i mean my my girl you know came from you know i, I did my research and i didn't I, I didn't even know what separation anxiety was at the time but i couldn't even turn my back on her she held we didn't sleep for nearly a year you know it was chronic she had really bad hyperattachment separation you name it put all the labels on it um I would say that she was the most challenging puppy um, because of that, all the, the the sleep deprivation from me and her, um, the trust wasn't there. The relationship wasn't there. I thought it was, but it wasn't. Um, she went through teenage. She actually had a delayed teenage. She was a, an adolescent from about three to four. And that was my hardest year. That's when her recall went everything else. For everyone else, it's about from, I don't know, for about a year, you know, a year old adolescent. Yeah. Hers was delayed because of all the stress and anxiety that we've been living through for a few years till I've really managed to, understand and then get through the separation anxiety and so you know just because you've done your research you went to you know these breeder and doesn't mean that it's going to be easy but I just think it's just this misconception isn't it that these these poor dogs that are just transient in between homes but they just get people just like oh I don't know what I'm you know you know you're guessing with a puppy and I'm thinking again no, you don't, because they're not robots. They're not identical. Yeah, exactly. They're not Donnie the Sheep clones. They've all got personalities. But like I say, it's at least with the rescues, you don't, it's not like you've got a, you, you bred from your dog um, and you've got all these puppies and you're just desperate to get rid of them because you just want the calm again. And so you basically would tell any story just to get rid of the dogs. Whereas from your point of view and the rescues, you're invested. You take time, you learn, and you're honest. You know, this dog is a bit guardy about toys, but how this is how you can help them. Whereas I think with the breeder, they're just like, nah, give me five hundred thousand pounds or whatever. I know several thousand pounds now. I don't even know what the cost of a puppy is, but it's extortionate. Um, and just off you go, and that's it. Yeah, it's the same with everything, isn't it? Like we've already talked about, you know, there's good and bad of any side of the situation. So, the, you know, whether you're thinking about a puppy or thinking about rescue or whatever you're thinking about, just do your research, chat to the people directly, don't just go off online or whatever people say, you know, have a conversation with the breeder, have a conversation with the rescue. And it's also nothing wrong with looking down both avenues. Like if you're not sure, you might go to rescue and, find a perfect match who's slightly older but also you know I, I think this is another thing that people kind of might forget and actually is a massive change um so i'll come back to that but your know, rescues also have puppies so depending you know like i said there was a litter of uh puppies at the the rescue that i was at today so you know that is still the case so there's nothing wrong with kind of looking both sides of things and often those puppies might have you know, really good experiences because they've been handled by lots of different people. There's lots of stuff happening. There's lots of other dogs around. Um, so, you know, you, they still get quite a good socialization if, if it's a good rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I said I was going to come back to something. A dog, but you don't have to do all the toilet training at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what did I just say? Oh, yeah. So I think the other thing is that idea that and I think it's shifting now. I don't think 
as many people think it because it isn't true but that idea that you know most rescue dogs are kind of crossbreeds or just mixes or those kind of old school strays but what we've actually seen and particularly in kind of the last maybe five years is a massive shift in the type of dogs that we see in rescue so when i started 15 years ago yes there was a lot of bull breeds there was a lot of lurchery type dogs there was a lot of dogs who sort of you might expect to see in rescue but now like yeah, we have Frenchies, we have Bulldogs, we've got, um, at the minute, I said to somebody the other day, you know, we had five St. Bernards at one point across the region, which is really, you know, we would never seen that before. You know, we've got a, a dog to Bordeaux at Bridgend, who's lovely, he's dog friendly, he's people friendly. Um, so, you know, that, that I, we can get a different breeds and get different personalities, you know. Um, it, it is a bit like like shopping um you know it's much more varied now than it has ever been before for a, a lot of reasons so it's still even if you think about getting a puppy or thinking about getting a rescue dog it's worth looking into both because then that is going to be how you find the best fit for you um you know getting set on on one idea or the other is probably going to be detrimental yeah i find a lot of people are, oh well as a kid we had a, a x breed so therefore i want to you know it's like oh yeah well you know my dad you know had collies so i want a collie it's like well how active are you oh no we just sit in every night you're like mm, no <laughs> exactly and we can uh, use stuff you know like... a breed you think oh i must have that but i like to say is that the personalities and the needs of dogs are so different but then you're not you know you're not your parents <laughs> and exactly. you're not living your parents life um, and i think that yeah like you said we can when we're starting to research dogs, when we're starting to think about where we get dogs from, we can use things like a breed to kind of influence us a little bit, but it swings back to the kind of open policy. And um, like I said, my dog's a little bit older now, and I'm definitely not kind of wishing her away in any way. I, you know, I hope she goes on for a lot longer, but I'm starting to think about what I want next because um, my role has changed. So I still, you know, I still work primarily in behavior but i do a lot less practical now than i was doing previously um which means i want to do a bit more training for myself i want to do scent work i want to do different things so i'm starting to think about well, what would my next dog look like um and at the minute i've got a couple of breeds in mind but i know in the back of my mind and i've said this to my partner and i say it to anybody who asks the reality is that i'm going to go to work one day to a center and somebody's going to be like would you like to meet this dog and i'll be yes and then i'll like the dog and take it home because that's yeah. exactly what happened with my current dog you know i was working at a center i, I bought my house so i was like right okay i'm going to america for two weeks um and then when i come back i'll be ready for a dog so I said to my friend, well, I'm, while I'm in America for two weeks, like, this is what I want. And I came back to something completely different because they fitted mm. the things I said rather than um, a breed, a type, a look. Although she's particularly uh, great looking. She's not in the room at the minute, but this is that's what she looks like. Yeah. Uh, so extremely cute. Um, <laughs> and I'm very lucky because she is absolutely gorgeous. But the point is, you know, even working in rescue, my friends went, this dog ticks all of your box mm. boxes. Because um, originally I wanted a Labrador cross and she's many things, but she is not a Labrador cross. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, you know, we can use our previous experience of dogs. We can use breeds as an example, but it always comes back to being as open as possible um, to the type of dog that's going to fit a lifestyle. Yeah. 
I've always wanted a pointer, but that would not have fitted my life. I've got a cockabiche on, <laughs> a lazy spaniel. You know, you couldn't be more different. But I realised that a pointer would not have fitted with my life at all. Um, so yeah, I've completely changed. <laughs> but it's a lot of the people, you know, obviously the dogs have moved into this place and it's it can be quite noisy and stressful and there's also new people and other dogs. You know, so the dogs are going to struggle a bit. So behaviours are going to show which may or may not show when they're a bit more relaxed and contented in a, in a home environment. But I think the misconception is, oh, the dogs are just shoved in their kennels and that's it. But there couldn't be anything further from the truth because you've got volunteer walkers that take the dog out for, for walks. But it's more than that. And I've seen, you know, just from um, knowing you in the work and obviously on the volume Facebook group, the work that you do to try and you're not going to solve all problems they don't you know you can't just reprogram a dog they're going to have these traits they're going to have these personalities but it's right as i say with my job is training is just to smooth off some of the edges to make them more livable with so if a dog is a bit more guardy about toys but there's ways around it and make and actually make them feel more comfortable if you're in a room with them with toys and things like that um was it was it knuckle or rocky i was looking at the case study last night but again it's just the work that actually the centers do do and i think a lot of people don't believe that these things happen yeah and again it's going to depend on the organization but i think like I said earlier, ultimately, the ultimate goal is for dogs to be in successful homes. So as part of that, you know, they ha you have to make them livable. But it's also about the welfare of that dog. So, yeah, if we've got a dog who really struggles around other dogs or cars or new people and they are worried about that person, that's not you know, good welfare as long as we're working to change that. Um, so we want to make sure that the dogs have the best opportunities to be successful in the home, but also feel the best um, way possible. So, yeah, it's never going to be as much time as anybody likes who works in shelter. Um, I was speaking to somebody the other day and they have 15 kennels and they were still like, oh, yeah, we could do with X amount more time. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a tricky resource to balance. But, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, most organizations are going to work with dogs to improve what they are that could just be how they walk on the lead because you know nobody really wants to be dragged about or if they've caught problem behaviors that we're aware of they might be trying to at least start changing um how the dog responds in those situations so that they are more successful yeah and like they say is once once a dog is mentally calmer then then they are gonna you can teach them um or you know with you know sort of, sort of behavior work you know they look at that and things like that just help them feel a bit better about things that maybe they were super stressed because they're a trigger stack they're literally in an environment where they're up to here you know over their eyes with the threshold instead of just being very low and calm so any little thing is going to set off a bigger reaction um but the the more you can work with them in a shelter then obviously when people come they can you can say look this is the improvement already and they see an improvement, which means most owners are going to say, well, I can carry on that work. I can then continue it. And then if the, once the dog's learned and settled in and trusted, it's going to be so much easier to deal with what were problem behaviours, which probably aren't going to be as problematic by that point because of all the work that's done in the rescue. And then obviously the continued support and, and the work the new owners are going to be doing afterwards. So it's really just to... As you say, it's just to get the dog out of rescue. 
and helping them maximize their chances um, of getting the home. So I think not enough thanks go to the staff in rescue centers. And I think that's a really important thing is, again, this myth of, you know, there's just lines of dogs just barking and howling in kennels, you know, in rows of cages. And yeah, I, like I said, I think yeah. I think there is a, a really positive shift to, to change and we can see that through sort of kennel design and things now and, and where we are, you know, different organizations are considering the sort of how many dogs are on site and things because like you said, you know, what we don't we don't really want to be in that situation because that isn't good welfare for a dog. Um, and where I've worked with some organizations abroad, actually the, the feedback is where they have reduced their numbers. They see a much more positive change because they get more times, they get to know the dogs better, which means they actually rehome them quicker or more successfully. So you're still getting that throughput of dogs. Whereas I think sometimes we think having as many kennels as possible helps as many dogs as possible. But actually if, if, rehoming is slower because of that because we don't know the dogs as well or the dogs are more stressed because yeah. they're not getting as much rehoming slower we're still kind of chalking it up so you know the, re the reality is there's probably never going to be enough rescue spaces but we sometimes have to think logically about how we approach the problem of supporting as many dogs as possible and yeah, yeah if you've got a dog who is reactive to other dogs and that makes him difficult to rehome because people want a dog often want a dog who isn't reactive or if you have the time to work on that and make the reactivity better and the dog feel better in that situation in theory that dog is then going to go home and open up the kennel space for the next dog but if they're there but you're helping other dogs but then that affects the amount of time you've got you know that dog is potentially going to stay there longer which still blocks the kennel so yeah. it's re it is really tricky because it is kind of a change of mindset to say I'm going to help less dogs, but you have to realize that you're not helping less dogs. You're doing it more efficiently and therefore still probably helping hopefully the same number of dogs. And that dog that you've got is going to have a much better time. And less chance of it being returned. Exactly. Because you've got more information, you, you can, the matching process, you know, again, the Tinder, rather than just yeah. swipe, it's a problem. Yeah, doggy Tinder. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even doggy Tinder. This is a high-end introduction agency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know any other names because I'm not part of them. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. So obviously, we talk. You know, the, oh, another thing I was just going to say is is um, was I can't remember what the dog did. Whether it jumped all over my dog, but the lady was like, "Oh, but it's a rescue," and it's almost like an excuse. And yet, she's had the dog for about five years. And it's this whole label, rescue. I could argue my dog was rescued because she wasn't in the home she was born in. I'm a different family, although she's only been with me. And this whole rescue label as an excuse. Well, the rescue label, I sometimes have a bit of an issue with the word rescue, not in the concept of the work that you do, but after somebody's taken a dog in, oh, it's a rescue. Well, tell me about your dog, because they're not a rescue. They're part of your family. Do you get people talking to you like about that, or is it just the people who approach me or me and my thoughts? No, I think I think you're right. I think it definitely can be used as kind of a bit of a shield, um, an ex an excuse, like you said. And I feel like it depends on the situation, doesn't it? So, like you said, you know, a dog who's been in the home five years or. They should, yeah. You know, I think they should be settled enough now to maybe not be considered 
a rescue in that context where you're talking about. But yeah, if you've had a dog for a few days, you might want to wrap them up in cotton wool a little bit yeah. and let them sell and then gradually remove um, that cotton wool. So, you know, there's the kind of that two sides of it, isn't it? But yes, definitely. I think it just adds to that idea that, like you said, they're there for for a negative reason. Um, that's how they ended up in rescue, which isn't always the case. And we've just kind of got to be aware of that and, and move through it because, yeah, should we... Somebody said to me the other day, like, oh, I think we should call them something else instead. And I really liked it, but um, I can't remember what they said. But, you know, it's that idea that, yeah, it, it almost becomes a negative label and a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas, yeah, you kind of want it to be a positive thing. Like, it should be a really great thing that like you've taken a dog and they're doing really well in the home. Um, but sometimes it's then brought down, like you said, by people maybe using it a bit yeah. inappropriately. Um, because they're the same as any other dog, right? So, yeah, like you said, if you've got a puppy who lacks manners around other dogs, then you should be working on that. So it's the same if it's an adult dog and you've had them from your friend or they've come from a, a rescue. Um, it's the same situation, really. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, oh, the I sometimes think, oh, the poor dog, you're, not more, you're more than a label. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is a label. And that's the thing we, you know, when in all of the work that we do, we should be trying to move away from labels um, and just be a lot more objective and, and um, um, open about that. I've just totally forgotten the word. Sorry, but, you know, we should just be a lot more descriptive of things. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's your dog now. And yeah, it might have come from a rescue background, but, you know, like you said, they're a different dog now, hopefully. But now I just adopted a Muttley. Uh, when it was older and we have a great life together that's what they should yeah, say exactly yeah i've loved <laughs> training them since you know you can train an old dog new things <laughs> definitely yeah 100 percent. yeah so what's two things i want to touch on so and it, they're, they're linked together so if somebody has just been uh is adopting a dog um I sometimes see things I just want to scream at Facebook, you know, dogs got lost within two hours of coming home and things like that. But also it goes, it's the three, three, three rule, which seems to be quite new. So was it three days for the dog to settle in, three weeks for the dog to decompress, and then three months for the dog to be perfect? I can't yeah. remember that word. I don't think the word was perfect, but that that it's kind of worse that effect. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Um, it is something that I do talk about, but in a slightly different way to kind of how you've just presented it, which I think kind of represents the whole thing, though. Um, so, yeah, it's called the rule of three, and it's that, this idea about kind of helping dogs settle into new environments. And I tend to think of it more as a guideline than a rule. So that's the first thing, because every dog is going to be different. And the way I think about it is more about how we then approach the situation. And like you said, it might be three days, but it could be a week that you're still in the same thing. And what we think about really is kind of the dog, the first three days, the dog's in a new environment. They're just getting used to things. We really want to focus on just building that relationship between the dog and the new owner, getting to know each other, starting those conversations, getting the dog used to the environment. So we want to keep things nice and calm, nice and quiet, not really have visitors over, not really do too much um, stuff, going to busy places, you know, small, consistent walks near the home just to gradually start to get the dog used to it. At three weeks, they're a little bit more settled. They should be used to their environment. 
um they can you know it'll be a little bit more confident and we can start to then add in a bit more variety to the situation so we might start going on slightly busier places always taking into account how the dog's reacting how the dog's feeling and adjusting as necessary we might start to introduce new people because we should have already started to build quite a nice bond between the main owner and the dog we can start having visitors over start getting the dog used to more day-to-day kind of life what we can also see though in that kind of three week period is that we start to see the dog settle which means we might see a bit more of their true colors so that could be a really good time to start to get on top of any potential issues or things that you know don't really fit into your lifestyle so it might be where we start looking to work with a trainer um, or just starting to think about how we manage situations differently depending on what the potential issue is so for example you know maybe they start stealing things out of the bin now that they're a bit more settled or we can move the bin we can teach the dog that you know they have their own um, toys and things and then we can gradually put the bin back down as one example by the time we get to three months you kind of would expect that they've experienced a lot of the things that we want them to and they're really settled and we can just make sure that there aren't going to be any of those kind of potential problems creeping up and we can start to then build on the work that the foundation work that we've put in place and we can start to go to busier places that might be when we start to um, do more kind of group trips with friends and things like that so I like it because it gives that kind of perception of slowly introducing things. But like you said, what we don't want is for people to think at three months, the dog is going to be completely settled because that's not going to be the case for a lot of the dogs that we work with. And it is a very, very rough number that, to be honest, has just been plucked out of the air. You know, there's not a huge amount of research behind it. Um, So for some dogs, the first three weeks might look like the first three days for another dog. For others, it could be um, three months. It's going to depend on you know the experience, the background, and it's really important that we have that individual approach to dogs when we take them home, bearing in mind that it can be quite useful just for those kind of slight markers of making people think, or well, is it a good time to introduce visitors? Is it a good time to go to the park, which I know is going to be really busy because it's a sunny day, um, you know, and it's nice out. So I think yeah there's definitely pros and cons i think it's not the be all and end all because i don't think it's it's a rule like i said at the start but i do think it's a good way to get people to think about well when should i be doing things with dogs i think it should be three week three month three year yeah maybe I think it should be three days that's my issue it's too short a time frame yeah definitely. what i've seen for most dogs and even if you bring a puppy home within three days it's not settled <laughs> It's not, no. it's, it's, it's even longer. And then you've got all the teenage hormones, which I've read a book about all the teenage hormones, because if you adopt a, a younger dog, you've got all that on top of it. They're still developing and you've got all the hormones to deal yeah, with. Yeah, definitely. Yay! I'm really selling them here, aren't I? No, I love them. Like you see, I, I think it's a great age for dogs because they are like, oh. And, um, but yeah, I, I think I like it as a concept, but it's the three days I've got a major bugbear about i'm thinking can i go on holiday i'm not settled in three days it takes me longer to adjust by the time i've adjusted then i've got to go home it's like oh <laughs> sit longer um and i think it's certainly for dogs that have been moved to home i don't understand for home to home and certainly some of them have had jer- long journeys not necessarily from abroad but even within the uk being in a van you know quite spooky because you know they, everything's changing and i but i like i do like the idea that it's staged yeah, exactly. I think the time frame is generally too short. 
Yeah, I, I think I would agree. Realistic. I think the yeah, that's probably for the dogs that are settled, kind of starting within three days. I think that's more the exception. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think, mm-hmm. you know, definitely sort of the first week to two weeks, we want to be keeping things nice and quiet and then gradually adding things in depending on our dog. Um, I think that's kind of a bit more of a realistic time frame, mm-hmm. but I think it's good from the point of view of, yeah, there hasn't really been any, I mean, like we've talked about, organisations will tell people the right information, hopefully. But generally speaking, I think it's definitely a good starting point um, that we can work on and and tweak. But yes, there are some obvious pitfalls with it. I think also the misconception that you take the dog home, it's instantly going to fit into your life and your plans. Yeah. And actually, no, it's the other way around. You should adjust to fit into your dog's plans. It may not want to go out for a walk. It's not maybe suitable to take even the dog out for a walk for the first few days, week, two weeks, because it needs to settle. It needs to learn about you. It needs to build its confidence. And then putting it out where all the dog smells are, you know, all the local ruffians who have peed up every lamppost, probably may not be the best thing for a fair number of them. Not all, because there's always differences. That's what we love about dogs because they're all so different. But I think it's this whole misconception of we get a dog, but it's got to fit into our routine, our lives. And I think when you've got a rescue, I think it's trying to have think from the other side. How is your dog feeling? Does Do you think your dog really wants to do this just yet? Or is your dog bursting to go out? But you're thinking, oh, we're over overanxious, over cautious. So you can have it from both ways. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so what can new adopters? What what sort of like somebody's adopting a dog? Maybe they haven't had a dog for a while, or it's their first one. Um, I mean, we talked a little, just that little bit about the time, the you know, the time and the process to help the dog settle in. But what would be like key takeaways that you would? You just think, I wish everybody would listen to this, and it would just be oh brilliant yeah so i think just making sure that you know if whatever the makeup of your family is you have a conversation about kind of what those um what why you're getting the dog what expectations you have so for example classic on the sofa you know if people are gonna let the dog on the sofa that's absolutely fine there is nothing to say that dogs being on the sofa affects them in any way uh, in a negative way other than you might struggle to get your space back um that's but, what clothes you know, were invented for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you just want kind of a um, consistent approach to things. So making sure that before you get the dog, you know, you kind of write down your list of what your consistent messages are going to be. It's then thinking about, um, you know, just doing some relationship building exercises when the first dog first goes home. So some really simple training, using treats, some nice positive reinforcement where we're kind of building that relationship between you and the dog and starting to teach some skills that are going to be useful. So things like our sit, starting maybe a bit of waiting, you know, walking nicely on the lead, those sort of things where we can have lots of positive experiences, but it also kind of works to our benefit in the long run. And then is thinking about your expectations so like you said if you're getting a dog because like me you like to go on walks and then go to the pub on a sunday and have sunday dinner like that's fine we can keep that in our minds but think about well how are we going to build up to that so to start with it might be like can we go and sit outside like a closed cafe 
that's you know shut in the evening and just sit there when it's slightly warmer than it is at the minute um but sit there and just reward the dog for settling or give them a chew and practice that behavior before we then take them to the pub so there's nothing wrong with having expectations of what our life is going to look like with dogs but we've just got to be aware of how we build up to them and thinking about that before you get your dog is going to make it a lot easier because once they're there you know we are excited to have dogs and we do want to do the things that we got a dog for so if we think about it beforehand it just makes it easier for us as people as well to manage our own expectations um so i definitely think about kind of yeah having that time to settle in like you said thinking about what you want from a dog before you get one um, and then thinking about how you're going to manage your own expectations to work towards all of those things that you want to do at a rate that works for the dog i think i'd say it's almost right at the beginning it kind of feel, feed, feeds nicely is that the more information you get about the potential owners, the easier it can be to find them the dogs that you think will suit them best, not necessarily what they think they want, but what probably will fit, fit them. Um, but it's that lifestyle planner. So almost sit down before, if you're going to think about getting a dog, even whether it's um, a puppy or an adopted dog, is put that down in your lifestyle I want to be exactly. able to go to the pub on Sunday because then the rescue centre can say, I just, you've said, this is how you build up to that. So I think that would be amazing. So, oh my God, this has been such a great chat. Yeah, no worries. Um, Thank you for having me. I mean, I could talk about this forever, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> we've got to have a cut off at some point. <laughs> I think it's such an interesting topic. And again, all this myth busting, I I'm, love myth busting. I think because it just adds to it just helps people be more knowledgeable about dogs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So where can they go and find about you? Um, yeah. So, yeah, best places, uh, like I said at the start, is Facebook, which is Simplifying Shelter Behaviour. Um, and I do weekly posts there. So different, uh, like you said, case studies, videos, different things like that um, about dogs, primarily in rescue, like I said. And then I also got the Simplifying Shelter Behaviour podcast, which is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So they're the two best places to go. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, um, hopefully people have more questions. They'll go to your Facebook group and start quizzing you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm always happy to chat. (laughs) That's great. Thanks Um, for having me. That's all right. Thank you. To find out more about Pippin Pets Dog Training and how we can help you, look at our website, pippinpetsdogtraining.co.uk or find us on Facebook at Pippin Pets.